The views expressed in this program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of 94.9 CHRW. I don't think I've seen your wife. What's she like? She's rather like you, except her hair is long. Rather like me? Quite like you. <laughs> Tell me, that number you all wear, what's it mean? Oh, Fahrenheit 451. Why 451 rather than 813 or 1215? Fahrenheit 451 is the temperature at which book paper catches fire and starts to burn. I'd like to ask you something else, only I don't really dare. Go ahead. Tell me, why do you burn books? What? Well, it's a job like any other. Good work with lots of variety. Monday we burn Miller, Tuesday Tolstoy, Wednesday Walt Whitman, Friday Faulkner, and Saturday and Sunday Schopenhauer and Sartre. We burn them to ashes and then burn the ashes. That's our official motto. You don't like books then? Do you like the rain? <laughs> yes, I adore it. Books are just so much rubbish. They have no interest. Then why do some people still read them, although it's so dangerous? Precisely because it is forbidden. Why is it forbidden? Because it made people unhappy. Do you really believe that? Oh, yes. Books disturb people, they make them antisocial. <sighs> do you think I'm antisocial? Why do I ask? Good morning, London. It is Thursday, January 29, 2009. I'm Bob Metz, and this is Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM, where we will be with you from now until noon. No, no, not right wing. Just right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be and welcome to the show on finally this stopped snowing morning, but it's pretty cold out there still. Just an announcement before we get into today's theme. Those of you who are regular listeners to the show should know that we will not be on the air next week because we'll be back the week after. Next week, CHRW is devoting its entire day to some special programming, which I believe relates to um, Black History Month. So tune in for that and we'll be back here in two weeks. And of course, 519-661-3600 is a number you can call if you want to join in on our conversation today or email us at justrightchrw at gmail.com. Now, as you heard in the opening clip there, the image of burning books has become uh, universally symbolic of censorship and of totalitarianism. Perhaps the most famous illustration of that symbol was Ray Bradbury's book, Fahrenheit 451, which also uh, made it into a movie in which I thought might be worth watching this past weekend in preparation for today's show. Now, uh, my Rogers Video Movie Guide rates the film four stars out of five, and interestingly writes, still the best adaptation of a Ray Bradbury book to hit the screen, big or small, Oscar Werner is properly troubled as a futuristic fireman responsible for the destruction of books, who begins to wonder about the necessity of his work. This is director Francois Truffaut's first English-language film, and he treats the subject of language and literature with a dignity not found in most American films, end quote. 
Of course, Oscar Werner is Montag, with Julie Christie as the female voice you heard in the opening clip, and we'll hear again later on on the show today. No, I'm not doing a movie review, although I imagine one's implied in the message we'll be conveying today, as we will be revealing some of the haunting insights of sci-fi writer Ray Bradbury and some planned outtakes from the movie Fahrenheit 451 later on, or as we might say in Canada... Celsius 956.12, which is ironically yet another manipulation of our language, but we can talk about that later. Now, of course, the fire reference you will find come up several times in a book, which I ran across over the past week or two, called The Tyranny of Nice, and I am deeply honored to have with me in the studio today the author of that book, Kathy Shadle, who may also be known by some of you as That Five Feet of Fury, which (laughs) is the name of her website. Welcome to the show, Kathy. Well, thanks for having me. I have to ask, before we get into the book, sure. um, Five Feet of Fury, mm-hmm. uh, what, what's, what prompted a name like it's, it's a very catchy name, and I've got to tell you, whenever I hear the, the word fury, the first thing I, I think of is the Tasmanian devil on, right. <laughs> on Bugs Bunny. Well, you know? that's not too just, bad. Just tearing through stuff, right? Um, my blog, uh, I started blogging nine years ago, so that makes me one of the pioneer You're bloggers. You're a pioneer. Oh, okay. yeah. And I uh, used to blog under the name Relapsed Catholic, and then I got <laughs> sick of it. And one day, uh, Five Feet of Fury popped into my head. Um, there's a friend of mine who comments at other blogs, and her, her, her tag name is Must Control Fists of Death. Oh. And it has that kind of uh, Bruce Lee look. And I'm also 4'11", not five feet tall, so <laughs> it's a little bit false advertising. Oh, my goodness. We shouldn't let that out so no, soon. No, that's right. Uh, um, now, your book, the... Um how, how, how do you word it? You know, the title of the book, again, is um, The Tyranny of Nice. Now, again, when I heard that the first time, just by itself, I mm-hmm. thought maybe you're talking about manners. Right. <laughs> you know, people being too uptight about their individual manners and, and things that it might cause. But no, that's not what you were talking about. What? Yeah, the book is really about the Canadian Human Rights Commissions Mm -hmm. and how in the interests of so-called tolerance and diversity, which I think are contradictory terms, they are policing speech on the internet and also in newspapers and magazines. And it's done in the interest, we're told, mm-hmm. of that wonderful Canadian niceness. You know, we're multicultural and true dopey and intolerant yeah. and blah, blah, blah. In fact, when I was listening to your... Well, aren't we? Uh, <laughs> well, I, I wish we weren't because this is what's gotten us into so much trouble. Uh, my take on it is that uh, on September 11th, if United 93 had been an Air Canada flight, uh, the passengers would have held the door open to the cockpit for the terrorists and then said, excuse me, while they were shoved aside. <laughs> um, being nice is getting us into a lot of trouble. And in the name of niceness, we're censoring people who have opinions we're told we're not supposed to know about because that wouldn't be nice. We're supposed to live in a in a tolerant country. Um, But the problem is that we have so many different cultures in our country right now that they don't really tolerate each other. And we're going to have to decide, uh, you know, which ones take precedent. You might have heard that lately there's been a a problem in, I think, B.C., where a Muslim doctor refused to treat a lesbian couple. Well, Muslims are minorities. Lesbians are minorities. Who wins that fight? Uh, This is the situation the government has gotten us into. Even the word minority is is a loaded term by yes. itself. We'll get into that a little further, and of course, you're going to be speaking in town tonight, and That's we'll be, we'll be giving the details about that and about your book a little later in Thank the show. You. Um, 
But again, you know, I, I, from my own experience, I, of course, I'm a little bit more than a radio broadcaster. Londoners know me that I've been involved in Human Rights Commission's cases. And um, from my experience, I know that it takes a lot of something, I don't know what even what it is, to get a person to pick up a pen, mm-hmm. put it to paper, and start writing and become, well, you know, uh, <laughs> tyrannical in themselves, you know, the, that, that, that thing of fury, because you've got to keep motivated. What did it for you? Um, I got involved in this issue when Mark Stein was charged with Islamophobia. Oh, sorry, flagrant Islamophobia mm-hmm. for a group of articles he wrote in uh, McLean's magazine a couple of years ago. And uh, he is a fan of my blog, a fan of my writing, and we've corresponded before. So one morning I get up and check out his website and he says that he's basically being taken to court not a real court because human rights tribunals aren't real courts they're they're you know if if Mm. a real court is um a restaurant these are the lemonade stands of (laughs) canadian justice and so he was you know people said that he they didn't like the sarcasm so he was charged with sarcasm and it cost mclean's magazine um and him uh tens of thousands of dollars because something he wrote offended three Muslim law students. They said that they didn't like what he said. They said they wanted equal time, the right of reply in McLean's magazine. There is no such human right as the right to reply. I invite them to start their own magazine and it turns out after lots of nagging that uh, the group who started all this is finally starting their own magazine which they could have just done it in the first place. Um, <laughs> so then I became acquainted with uh, Ezra Levant's uh, work and how he was being uh, taken before the Human Rights Commissions for daring to publish the so-called Danish Mohammed cartoons. Mm-hmm. A local imam who's a known troublemaker um, and who claims he was offended because he is a direct descendant of the Prophet Muhammad, sent a misspelled handwritten note to the Canadian Human Rights Commission uh, commission saying he was offended by the cartoons and uh it cost oh gosh i'm gonna say at hundreds of thousands of dollars for ezra levant to fight this he's won in the sense that the the charges were dropped the complaint was dropped it has cost him about three years of his life and um, luckily, unlike a lot of people caught up in the web of, uh, of the Human Rights Commissions, he was a well-connected guy, a very articulate, amusing guy. He's good on TV. He was able to fight this. But in our book, we talk about a lot of people who don't have those kinds of resources and whose stories aren't as familiar to people as the Stein and Levant that, case. That's an absolutely fascinating observation because in my own case, I represented a London landlord. I'm not a lawyer, okay? I'm just right. a citizen. I came forth. I saw this guy before the Human Rights Commission, didn't know anything about him. I was invited to go observe the proceedings because I was politically involved. Um, someone invited me. And I sat there for a day. And next thing I find out the next morning, my name is on the front page of the newspaper oh, in London okay. Press. Sure. And I'm there touting this big case. But the amazing thing is a landlord whose name was Elijah Elif at the time his greatest weakness was his lack of speaking the English language. He was sure. an immigrant himself. Okay. And I could relate to that because my father was an immigrant, spoke broken English for years. I understood a lot of broken English. It was common to me, right? Mm-hmm. But the, the commission would take these broken English words and, and put definitions and oh. innuendo to them that he could not possibly understand. He didn't understand. No, he thought he was in a court of justice. Yes. And he kept wondering why anything he said, any evidence he produced was useless. 
right? And that it was constantly he said, she said, and that was as far as they wanted to ever go. And uh, it's just funny you say that because I think a lot of the victims, as you say, of the Human Rights Commission are the very people they're saying they're helping. Exactly. And, and it's reached that point now. We've got Muslims suing Jewish people. We've got Jewish people suing the so-called neo-Nazis. And um, it, it just goes from there. What it's really doing is in the interest of multiculturalism, which I find a dubious goal in the first place. But their stated goal is let's all get along and be one big happy <laughs> Canada. But what it's doing is pitting people against each other. And I don't think that's really in the interest of the common good. That, that is the, the same the very same argument that the coalition's using in Parliament right now. Mm -hmm. We've got to all get along because, of course, what they want to do is get along with everybody but Harper. Oh, exactly. Right? Now, That's what bipartisanship <laughs> means. You listen to us and shut <laughs> exactly. up. Exactly. We're already a quarter past the hour. I can't believe it. I'm going to take a quick break here, but before, I just wanted to point out on page 7 of The Tyranny of Nice, you expressed that Dean Stacy, uh, a CHRC investigator, has testified under oath that freedom of speech is, quote, an American concept to which he does not, quote, give any value. Now, it's interesting because your quoted comments by Mr. Stacy exactly echo what you're going to hear in this upcoming clip. And uh, this debate is not recent. It's nothing new. It merely gets applied, you know, to every new form of communication as it comes along. Uh, in, now, this is from 1999, only 10 years ago. And it's hard to believe the Internet was still relatively new. But yeah. It was around for a while, and um, which only goes to show how quickly people can adapt. We take something that wasn't around 15 years ago is for granted now, as though it always were there. And, uh, you know, we, we've of late heard, heard a lot about Islamic groups attempting to seize control of government and restriction of speech and stuff. But here's an example from the Jewish community, as heard in 1999. Uh, just as Canada's CRTC had ruled at that time that it would not restrict content on the Internet, which is interesting. You'll hear an introduction of Saul Lippmann momentarily, but in response to his argument on the other side, you'll be hearing the voice of uh, Freedom Party leader Paul McKeever, who also appeared on that same edition of a television call-in show called Rhonda London Live, broadcast on CTS in June 99, and hosted, of course, by Rhonda London. We'll see if anything that our guest, Kathy Shadle, today hears in these outtakes stirs any other memories about some strange HRC cases. And we'll pick up on that conversation here again in the studio in about six minutes back right after this. Some five years ago, the Simon Wiesenthal Center found about 50 hate sites on the internet that were significant. Now, there are more than 2,000 and the number keeps growing. The future doesn't look especially promising, given the CRTC's recent decision not to censor the web. With more on this, I'm joined by Saul Littman, the Canadian representative of the Simon Wiesenthal Center. Saul Littman is a sociologist turned journalist, historian, and Nazi hunter. He's the author of War Criminal on Trial. Saul Littman, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. It's my pleasure. You had talked about the acid test for the Constitution. My freedom of expression, my freedom of free speech ends when I start to perpetuate something that is socially damaging. And that's the acid test. What is the impact on society? This program is regulated by the CRTC. There that's are certain right. things I can say, certain things that I cannot say. That's right. Why would the internet be, be different? And I should mention too, censored is my word, not yours. That's right. Uh, I think the internet has to be regulated. Uh, it's, it's pretty much the same way as when we first invented automobiles and uh, put them on roads with no stop signs and no signals and no uh, directions uh, indicators. Uh, there was chaos until we began having stop signs and stop lights and speed limits and so on. 
uh, unless we regulate the internet, it's going to self-destruct. The internet was initially, uh, uh, how shall I put it, developed by people who were essentially techies. These were people with a technical knowledge of, the, of computers and how they work and how the internet would work. Uh, they had no social concerns, no social background. It was like taking a garage mechanic and asking him to uh, legislate, uh, you know, um, what, what should we call it, uh, the envi environmental laws. Uh, he, knows his, he knows the engine, but he really doesn't know anything about the social consequences of, of a, an internal combustion engine. So the techies were very, very uninterested. And of course, the clamor was that this is somehow a new medium. It's different from everything else. There should be different rules for it. And it really isn't that different. It relies on telephone lines primarily. It's capable of being controlled like any other medium we have. And the myth that it's uh, so ubiquitous, so widespread, so widely disseminated, that there's no way you can control it, is nonsense. Because actually it is carefully funneled through a series of provincial pipelines to a federal pipeline, and it would be controllable. Uh, you, you could turn the switch at any point along the, uh, the route. Um, but then came the, the question of uh, freedom of speech, freedom of expression. Mm -hmm. And uh, many of the people who uh, were most uh, loud in proclaiming the freedom of expression, well, they were of two types. There were people who sincerely believe in freedom of expression, but don't realize that we're not in the United States, we're not applying American standards to the question of free speech. I think I brought with me a copy of our Canadian Constitution, and it says, you know, we guarantee you all, all the freedoms, but there's a but in it. And the but is, if it has bad social consequences, a civilized society may have to limit what you're doing. Uh, and I think it's a rather sensible approach, and most countries apply that approach. When we're talking about the um, uh, hate sort of content, as opposed to, for example, pornography and that kind of thing, what we're really talking about is whether or not we should allow certain messages to get out, certain false messages to get out. Now, when we're dealing with truth or falsity, there's a real problem mm -hmm. uh, in justifying censorship, and I'll, I'll explain. If you have something that's demonstrably false, then of course you don't need to censor it. Uh, you simply need to disprove it with the evidence which you have which demonstrates that it's false. When you come across uh, another sort of argument that is um, thought to be false, but for which there is no hard evidence. I mean, there are legal cases every day are full of uh, situations where you don't have any paper, you just have someone's testimony. Where you have perhaps weaker evidence or no evidence, then we certainly don't want to censor the uh, information because it's more important then than ever that all sides of an argument are heard and the rational person can make a decision for him or herself as to what to believe and what not to believe. I'll, and I'll give you an example. I was uh, in the psychology department at University of Western Ontario back when Philippe Rushton was in trouble with uh, the RCMP over his uh, race um, research. He was comparing all sorts of different characteristics for uh, one race versus another race or group as you want to call it. And he got in a lot of trouble. And at that time I remember uh, hearing reports from other uh, professors who were 
in the psychology department and finding that they would send their uh, students out to get various psychological reports, which had been ripped out of the various reporting journals, professional journals in the, in the university library. That is the sort of thing we cannot afford in society. We need to be able to evaluate all sorts of information, compare the good with the bad, and make, uh, make up uh, our own minds about what we can accept and what we can't accept. Reliance upon authority is the worst thing that any rational and uh, advanced society can do. Because we've seen in the mm -hmm. past where, uh, you know, in the 1500s with the, um, the printing press and that kind of thing, there were worries that, you know, uh, people might start printing things like Jesus was not the Son of God. Well, certainly we must be able to question things like that in a free society. If you're talking about adults, there is no justification in any, in any situation that I can see uh, to censor information with respect to the truth or falsity of anything. And welcome back. You're listening to Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM, where we'll be with you from now till noon, 519-661-3600, the number to call if you want to join us. I am joined in studio right now by author of The Tyranny of Nice, Kathy Shadle. And you seem to be very nice. <laughs> don't tell anyone. No, don't tell anybody. Now, you're going to be speaking tonight. That's right. At, um, I understand, the Westmount Public Library, 3200 Wonderland Road South. Uh, 7 to 9 p.m. They're mm -hmm. advising people to get there at 6.30. And as we learned today, mm. getting here today, oh. leave early. Please leave early. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be signing books. And <coughs> usually when I do these events, mm -hmm. we end up going well over time because people have a lot of questions oh, about sure. this. And um, $10 at the door, $5 for students and seniors. Mm -hmm. Also also uh, speaking is Salim Mansour, who will be there, Sun Media columnist. Interesting, he had an article uh, in The Sun and, and also here in our London Free Press, Grassroots Fight for Free Speech, which appeared on January 24. And he has a great line in there. He, he refers to you, uh, Mark Stein, or, yeah, Mark Stein, Mark and Connie Fournier, Ezra Levant, the usual group. The you, yeah, there's a little <laughs> gang of us. Right? And he uh, says, you know, individuals speaking confidently armed with reason stand on their own without requiring state support against opponents. And those appealing to censors and making their arguments do so because their case is weak or false. Now, having heard all mm -hmm. these philosophic arguments, where are you? What did you hear? You know, Saul it, Littman said, said a lot of things oh that yes. were just so wrong. I, I was laughing. It. I don't know I, if the mic was on or not. <laughs> you know, I, I love the way he was described as a Nazi hunter. Um, there are more Nazis on the average Hogan's Heroes rerun than there is in all of Canada. <laughs> and yet the Simon Wiesenthal Center and people who Ezra Levant himself have called the official Jews of Canada, you know, the people who have these phony baloney jobs of looking for Nazis who don't exist on the internet. Um, it's really amusing to me because uh, a couple of weeks ago I was in downtown Toronto. Uh, there was me, the little Catholic girl, uh, 12 Jewish people uh, facing down thousands of very angry, uh, radical Muslims on the streets of Toronto who, among other things, were calling for the murder of the Jewish child who was standing right next to me. They were not arrested for that. And oddly enough, Mr. Sid or Saul or whatever his name was, he, I guess, couldn't be bothered to come down and defend the Jewish people. He's too busy going on the internet and spending our tax dollars hunting down pretend white supremacists who always turn out to be a bunch of uh, stupid teenagers on welfare living in their mother's basement. I don't think they could uh, organize an invasion of a Polish bakery, let alone take over Canada. So there's a set of misplaced priorities here of people who are fighting the last war rather than fighting the one that's 
going on right now. And that's why they're so befuddled by people like Ezra Levant and Mark Stein. Um, they can't figure out why they, too, don't want to pretend that World War II is still going on. And they want to, uh, you know, confront what they believe to be uh, radical Islam in Canada and around the world. Uh, that's not nice, you see. Mm -hmm. It's not multicultural. So we can't have that. And amazingly, you know, you find people uh, vilifying Ezra Levant for pointing out the obvious. And uh, meanwhile, Saul and his friends will all get Order of Canada's and I'll get a court case, you know. You know it's interesting, in your book, on page 26, I, I see here, um, I believe this is Ezra Levant you're quoting here. Mm -hmm. uh, and he says, you would think that a religion also known as the people of the book, referring to the Jewish religion, wouldn't be much into book burning, mm -hmm. using the very reference we, we opened the show with. And he cites the Canadian Jewish Congress, Nybrith, Simon Wiesenthal Center. They don't actually burn books. They just turn them over to political deviants to shut down their website. That's right. And I think yeah. one thing that I'd just like to get in very quickly mm -hmm. is that people say, well, if we don't do this, we're going to turn into Nazi Germany. Well, first of all, I think that's an insult to millions of ordinary Canadians who loathe everything that white supremacists and anti-Semites stand for, including me. Um, it's insulting to think that a couple of words on the Internet um, are going to turn us into Rwanda. But what people don't understand is that the Third Reich and the Weimar Republic had hundreds of laws on the books just like ours that said you cannot utter hate speech, you cannot uh, discriminate against people, you cannot do this. And they brought 400 hate speech cases against Nazis. Well, that worked out. You know, they, they took over the country. Right. It's counterintuitive, but it's true that allowing the handful of morons to say stupid things on the Internet, that the real Nazis are the people who are trying to shut down the Internet, well, as far as I'm concerned. What, what is interesting, too, is one thing that you didn't hear in that Saul Lippmann uh, clip what he was doing on that show, he had brought these, they, they, they had burned their own DVDs and CDs of like eight to 10,000 internet right. hate sites on the net. So they're helping you find them, right? Oh, yes, exactly. And so it's like an industry, and I'm thinking, and they were even showing stuff from the hate sites. Exactly. And they're so banal and it's boring. It's ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. And uh, the other thing that's really amusing, and this always gets a big laugh, is that after people like this win their cases, and by the way, there's 100%, almost 100% guilty for hate Conviction speech. Rate, exactly. Yeah. You can't win, so you may as well not even show up. So the government of Canada does reports on their wonderful success of closing down Joe Blow's stupid white supremacist website. Then what they do is post all the, quote, toxic hate speech on the government of Canada website to show you how wonderful a job they did of shutting it up. So now your taxes and our servers... Canadian servers are hosting the very words that they said were so horrible before these guys were taken to court. And it's all costing us millions of dollars a year. Exactly. And, and you know, um, it's interesting, too. Now, this might have been from a 1999 perspective, because that's when that clip was played. But um, when you talked about you can turn off the switch anywhere in the Internet, it doesn't exactly work like that. You can no. in a certain local area, but th that's exactly how it works. It works by rerouting. Yes. That was the whole point of it. And in my conversations and, and vague dealings with, um, with the people on the other side, their understanding of popular culture and the web and the net is so primitive 
and their analogies are so appallingly bad that, well, the one about the cars, I mean, there are some things that are so stupid that only a sociology, oh, traffic, example, only a sociologist yeah. can believe it. Yeah. And the, 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 they make these terrible analogies. They get confronted by them now in public, which they never used to be, by people like uh, Ezra Levant. I was at a debate with him. A guy stood up from B'nai B'rith and said, but Ezra, there are 10,000 more hate sites now than there were 10 years ago. And Ezra said, well, you're doing a hell of a job. <laughs> like, you know, if there are 10,000 more since your fabulous efforts, obviously, it's, this is just a joke. It's it a is. way for you guys to frighten your base, get them to send money because the Nazis are coming, and just uh, kind of make yourselves feel good about yourselves. Well, you know, ha hate itself is worth a, a show and a half as yes. a subject, just the psychology and the real meaning of it. And um, it's been an issue I've been involved with because you can't get away from it if you if you're in a free speech situation <laughs> anywhere because yeah. it's one of the labels that people like to throw on yeah. people oh, when I'm they want to shut them up. I basically. get called every name in the book, and the key is not to care, but most. Canadians, again, it's our niceness. We're so afraid of being called a name that we'd rather our whole country go straight to hell in a handbasket. <laughs> you know, uh, another thing Saul Lippman said, which I I just know from having done this show. He said it's like getting a mechanic or something to determine the rules for pollution and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Well, you know what? That's how they do it. Yeah, exactly. Because only a of mechanic or a person who knows the machine would know how much it's emitting of this and that. Where are they going to go to? The, the local mystic? And his, his <laughs> origin story of uh, the Internet leaving out the Pentagon, and it, it's just... He, these are people who don't really know what they're talking about. They don't want to know what they're talking about. Listen, we're at the bottom of the hour now. We're going to have to take a break for some ads. And wrapped around these ads are a couple more clips from uh, Ray Bradbury's movie, Fahrenheit 451. And uh, boy, when you listen to the words of what is being said here and how this would apply, and we'll come back after and we'll talk about some specific cases and some of the, mm -hmm. you know, the horror stories that oh. people keep hearing. Yeah. And, uh, but man, listen to these words. Although they were talking about book burning, which is kind of, in the literal sense, almost funny today, given the internet, Absolutely. Because right? we don't have paper all the time. We don't. And, uh, but symbolically when you think of the psychology just listen to these words and we'll be back in about three or four minutes what's happening this house is condemned they said to burn the books right here with everything else oh well, burning the house is one thing burning the books is another isn't it it's never any good burning everything together come on montag all this philosophy let's get rid of it it's even worse than the novels Thinkers, philosophers, all of them saying exactly the same thing, only I am right. The others are all idiots. One century they, they tell you man's destiny is predetermined. The next they'll say that he has freedom of choice. Oh, it's just a matter of fashion, that's all, philosophy. Just like short dresses this year, long dresses next year. Look, all stories of the dead, biography that's called. An autobiography. My life, my diary, my memoirs, my intimate memoirs. Of course, when they started out, well, it was just the urge to write. Then after the second or third book, all they wanted was to satisfy their own vanity, to stand out from the crowd, to be different, to be able to look down on all the others. Ah, Robinson Crusoe, the Negroes didn't like that because of his man, Friday. And Nietzsche, ah, Nietzsche. The Jews didn't like Nietzsche. Ah, here's a book about lung cancer. You see, all the cigarette smokers got into a panic, so for everybody's peace of mind, 
We burn it. Ah, now this one must be very profound. The Ethics of Aristotle. Now, anybody that read that must believe his account above anybody that hadn't. See, it's, it's no good, Monty. We've all got to be alike. The only way to be happy is for everyone to be made equal. So, we must burn the books, Montag. All the books. Happiness. What a poor idiot you must have been. It's gibberish is enough to drive a man mad. Thought you could learn from these how to walk in the waters. Did you? Montag must learn to think a little. Consider how all these writings, all these recipes for happiness disagree. Now let this heap of contradictions burn itself out. You know, it's we who at this moment are working for man's happiness. Look, isn't that lovely? The pages. Like, like flower petals or butterflies. Luminous and black. Who can explain the fascination of fire? What draws us to it, whether we're young or old? And she'll be at the uh, Wonderland Road South Westmount Public Library tonight, January 29, 7 to 9 p.m. Doors open at 6.30. Make sure you make it. $10 at the door, $5 for students and seniors. And I'm sure we'll be hearing some interesting stories tonight in addition to the ones you'll be hearing today. Also accompanying Kathy tonight will be Salim Mansour, Sun Media columnist, who'll have a few things to say on this subject, which, of course, has been one of the things he's uh, been on about for many, many years mm-hmm. now. He's certainly not new to this issue. No. And, um, Kathy, welcome back again to the show. Thanks. Uh, w- um, you just heard some of the clips there. Now, one of the scariest cases I think that shows in your you know shows up in your book and by the way the book is not a thick book it's no. a pretty easy read it's like a summary of all the worst nightmares you could think of that could happen to you out of the blue you mm. know just for you would never think in your life you could wake up to have issues like this in a country that supposedly calls itself free and by the way you know you heard in that thing they're talking about uh, burning contradictions, mm-hmm. you know, like you can't have all this disagreement, which goes to the heart of the matter because Absolutely. the right to disagree is what defines a free society. Yes. You go your way, you're, I go my way if we disagree, instead of one of us clubbing the other on the head and saying, you got to agree with me. Mm-hmm. That's the alternative. And, Absolutely. And now, so tell us about Pastor Stephen Boisson, who appears to be uh, in, a, in a lot of trouble here yes. and seems to have gotten a life sentence almost of sorts. That's right. Um, he's one of the unfortunate people I, that we really wanted to talk about in the book because, again, unlike people like Mark Stein, who literally, you know, until recently, could get an audience with, the, with President Bush if he wanted to, Stephen Boisson is a pastor. He's a Protestant pastor, uh, sort of uh, being a Catholic girl, something I'm not really that familiar with, but kind of an art- itinerant guy who mm-hmm. just goes around and maybe preaches on a street corner or something. And he wrote a letter to his local newspaper using language that I would not have used. Again, this is a cultural thing. Um, a lot of Protestant uh, missionary types like to use militaristic kind of language that I don't find very helpful. But he said, basically, there's a war on in our society. I object to uh, children being taught about homosexuality Which in the schools. Which ironically is a war of ideas. Exactly, yeah. it's a war of <laughs> yeah, ideas. Right. And he said, I don't like Symbolic. You know, gay week in school or something like that. So he, he wrote that and they printed it. And someone decided that 
I don't know, that if somebody read this horrible letter that, um, I don't know, people would run through the streets and kill gay people. Didn't happen. Doesn't matter if it didn't happen. It might happen. That's the wording of our hate speech law. Mm -hmm. Section 13 says that you are not allowed to print anything that is likely to expose anyone to hatred, which is a feeling, or contempt, another feeling. You don't have to prove that my saying, I hate Bob, made someone kill Bob. You just have to prove that sometime in the future, in times unknown, on another planet, in another galaxy, what you wrote might hurt someone's feelings. Mm -hmm. That's all it takes for a case. And he was dragged before the Human Rights Commission, and he lost. Um, He had some pro bono legal work, still lost, because Christians are bad. (laughs) And uh, Christians are overwhelmingly the people who are silenced by these committees. And he was told not only that he well, was... Why, why do you think that is? Because yeah. atheists run Canada, uh, atheist elites run Canada, or people who are either United Church or rather embarrassed by the whole idea of religion. Uh, again, it's the idea that those evil Christians are taking over the world because everybody had to read A Handmaid's Tale in high school, um, overlooking the fact that, you know, Jerry Falwell never hurt anybody. He's not Osama bin Laden. And uh, again, it's, it's a matter of looking at the wrong enemy and ending up destroying, uh, you know, sawing the limb off underneath you in the interest of, uh, of tolerance. You know, now that you bring this up, you know, as I go through the book and I look at all of the examples, I find a disproportionate a number of them mm-hmm. relate to religious, religious disputes. There's yes, no question about it. Absolutely. Whether it be Muslim, Jewish, Christian, um, and it seems that all of their... And, and ironically, some of them use each other's group, which might be religious, to oh, use yeah. this atheistic organization to mm-hmm. fight the other religion. Exactly. Um, so, you know, it just it just strikes me as might not the commission, misguided though as it is, mm-hmm. okay, you're talking about them being atheists. Maybe what they see is a bunch of irrational people who sound like they want to go out and kill each other Mm -hmm. and who are a danger to the world, who are intolerant of others, and they kind of can't help but see that this is irrationality, Mm -hmm. which to a degree, you have to argue some of it is. Yes, I agree with you. And that's the point. Can you you be... You know how how much how much false belief can you have before you're a danger to society? So well, I'd or argue a lot. Uh, I think that global warming is a false belief, and it's costing us trillions of dollars. But you know, um, well, it, you don't have to convert me. On no. That one. <laughs> um, so it depends on it depends on what the meaning of the word uh, true is. We have a mostly liberal, uh, knee-jerk liberal. They don't even realize they're liberal. Um, Pro-Trudeau, pro-multicultural, anti-Christian establishment that runs the universities, that runs the CBC, that, um, you know, is, is even the Conservative Party is still shot through with red Toryism. Mm-hmm. And with people who want to get invited to the next cocktail party and don't care about the facts. And uh, someone like Stephen Boisson, well, he's just a troublemaker. He's just a, one of those irritating people like Jerry Falwell, who is dead, by the way, but people still bring the man's name yeah. up. He's, he's gone, okay? Shut up. Um, and so Stephen Boisson was told not only that he was a very bad person, and they had to cough up uh, some kind of fine in a five-figure amount. Um, for writing a letter to the editor, I just want everybody to understand this. This is a letter to an editor in a newspaper. Yeah, just expressing his opinion. Yeah. Um, I thought his opinions were kind of stupid. Then, so don't read it, you know. Mm-hmm. So then forget about it, get a light. He was also ordered 
um, that he could never talk about any of the people. He, he couldn't go on, say, your show and say, you know what? That was the worst experience I ever had with the Canadian Human Rights Commissions. They really dragged me over the coals. He can never talk about what happened to him. Mm-hmm. He can never say anything about the man who brought the charges. And I think the most chilling thing of all, he is forbidden from ever writing or speaking certain biblical passages that condemn homosexual acts for the rest of his life. Even in his own church? Well, if he ever got his own church, yes, that would be correct. But uh, in uh, preaching a sermon, um, in a letter to someone, in an email, he is not allowed to quote certain Bible passages. I happen to think those Bible passages are kind of strange, and uh, people like him take them out of context. Here's a challenge for the Human Rights Commission. Can he quote someone else quoting those Bible passages? Well, you know, that's a fascinating (laughs) issue, because uh, Mark Stein was not in trouble for using his own words. He was in trouble for quoting radical Muslim imams saying things like, we are going to take over the world, you stupid infidels. They didn't take him that imam to court. They took Mark Stein to court for reporting this man's mm-hmm. speech in McLean's. Why? It hurt our feelings. Well, there, there you go. That's exactly. Wasn't that what Ray Bradbury was saying? Exactly. You know, like we burn the books to keep people's, you know, to make sure everybody's equal and feeling yes. good. You know, it's all kind of depressing if you think about it. Yeah. Then we're going to take a quick break for two minutes here for a quick smile, and we'll talk about some other cases on the other side of this. Right back after this. How many people are from, oh, let's say, somewhere else? Uh, my name's R.C. Smith. I'm from New York City. Yeah, duh. And uh, thank God I'm out of New York City on the weekends because it's nothing but parades. There's over 80 cultural groups in New York City, and every weekend there's a parade. So it started a couple months ago with the St. Patrick's Day Parade. Then we have, like, the Pakistani Parade, then the Bulgarian Parade, then the Chinese Parade, then the Chinese Parade, then the Chinese... Everybody's got a parade. See, I don't get it. I'm German. And I remember as a little kid saying to my mom, when do we get a parade? And I finally figured it out. People get really, really nervous when 20,000 Germans are marching up the street so are there any other germans besides me here tonight any germans in the room anywhere so wow usually yeah usually the loudest bastards in the room what people do especially sexually I just wish they would leave me out of it like why do I have to be part of it all the time you know like they just can't do it quite like they got to make a big front they got to be on television you know you turn on TV and there's a guy on TV I, I like to screw ducks <laughs> and I have a right to screw ducks and I, okay shut up but you know and you know but then the next day I can't get to work because the big duck <laughs> parade is going down the street you know and it's just like, I don't know why they can't just leave me out of it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but the biggest, the biggest prejudice is, you know, the biggest prejudice really is against fat people, you know, because uh, uh, we're not protected at all. Like, you know, if a, if a black person walks in the room, a person of color, you know, and, uh, you know, you make fun of them, 20 people will sue you for racial discrimination. You know, or if a woman walks by and you make a sexist comment, there's two dozen people on your case for sex discrimination. You know, but if a fat person walks by, it's perfectly okay. They go, hey, you fat! <laughs> I mean, 20 people will still come over, but they'll go, he is a fat. <laughs> I mean, there's no protection, you know what I'm saying? 
And he brings up a good point there because you have to be in a very specific group of people to be protected from certain um, uh, prejudices mm -hmm. or, or opinions. Now, you said something interesting during the first comic there, who was R.C. Smith, the German, talking about the German praise. You, you said he could, he could get into trouble with the Human Rights Commission. Oh, absolutely. Like that. Under the law. Now, remember, he's German. So does that make a difference? Um, no, I, d oh, okay. I don't think it does because he said earlier on, look at these other people coming up the street, I'm sick of it. Mm -hmm. And uh, as written, as the law is written, which is why we were fighting to get it overturned. Yes, you, he could be charged. Now, I've had Jewish friends say to me, you know, Seinfeld reruns <laughs> expose me to hatred and contempt. Um, but you have to, it, it's not like the magic hate police run around looking for people. Someone has to be motivated enough through this sort of dumb group identity and victim mentality to file a complaint. Now, just to let you know... Just beat me to my next question. Um, okay, we were talking about Christians, and people say to me every time, and I'll get this tonight, why don't all we Christians uh, file a, a complaint against a bunch of people? Christians have tried to file complaints about uh, cartoons of the Pope that were scatological, and they've been told to get lost. In those words, well, uh, somebody was told, get a life by somebody at the Human Rights Commission. Why? Well, Christians, they're a majority. They, quote, run Canada, which is news to me, because if they ran Canada, our abortion laws, which don't exist, would, would be different. But uh, we apparently run Canada. We're a majority. So our feelings don't actually matter. Now, I don't believe they should. I would actually oppose any Christian group filing a complaint with anyone with the Human Rights Commission. I think the Human Rights Commission should be shut down and bulldozed and the ground, con you know, decontaminated. Well, because there goes my next question. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, because they are evil, sinister, fascist um, uh, Nazis on the loose paid for well, by well, my tax dollars. Having, having said that, you beat me to the punch because uh, I was actually going to close the show out with that. We've still got, got a while to go, but a lot of the stress and, and I, or emphasis, rather, mm -hmm. that I've seen from some of the people before the Human Rights Commission is this Section 13 yes. thing. And I often think, well, why just stop there? Why, go, why not go for the whole thing? Because the whole thing is corrupt from top to bottom. Mm -hmm. Even if it's only applied to landlords and tenants for their little disputes, if you've got a dispute big enough to go to a commission, you've got a dispute big enough to go to a court of law, don't but you? But that would cost money. You see, the gentleman who sued, I, I shouldn't use the word suit, because none of this is happening in a real court. No, it's a complaint but system. It's a complaint. Yeah. So the guy who made the complaint against Ezra Levant for running the Muhammad cartoons has not spent one cent of his own money to file the complaint to have the hearings. Uh, McLean's Magazine paid for everything, and the three little, I called them hijackers, who tried to take over McLean's when they didn't like what Mark Stein said, um, didn't pay one cent. So it's a cost-free way to harass people sure. you don't like. that's not like. just them. That applies to Everyone. all No, you never pay yep. even a nickel. Everything is paid for you. All your everything that you could desire is paid for you. Now, so should, any, should why even, not have a suit? Should we even be on the air telling people? What if there's a evil-minded person out mm -hmm. there who's hearing what we're saying? Mm -hmm. well, hey, I got, a, I got a way to get at my buddy next door. People I will do it. They will. Yes, absolutely. Uh, it, it has to take a certain mentality to do that. Yes. <laughs> But, uh, you know, we heard these, uh, these two com stand-up comics. You've even got a section in your book called A Stand-Up Guy. Yep. And, of course, that's a play on, on the name of the person, Guy Earl. Mm -hmm. 
who was a stand-up comedian in uh, where was this in British Columbia? Yes, I right? uh, yeah, pol- yeah, well, and and, and I guess he fell into that trap you were talking about. Um, yep, he he was doing a stand-up yeah. routine. And gosh, swearing and drunkenness at a stand-up club. Who would have thought? Yeah. So he got heckled. Um, let me let me start at the beginning. He was on the stage being his usual raucous self. He prides himself on being this kind of Lenny Bruce character. Uh, you go to a nightclub. I thought everybody knew what Don Rickles was, but apparently what he does is he's kind of an insult comic. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. familiar with yeah. Don Rickles. Yeah. I was a fan. I love him. Nice guy, too. One, one, one of the on nicest one. people who ever lived, yeah. actually. And uh, doesn't have a mean body's <laughs> body. But um, so there were these two women necking in the front row really asking for i you know i with think each other not that's right with okay. each other and i think that if a straight couple or two hamsters was doing it in the middle of a nightclub in the front row in front of this guy they're asking for something to be said he said something to them i don't know what it was i'd be afraid to even say it on the radio i'm sure it wasn't very nice they took objection to this and took him to the human rights commission for homophobia now look it's two o'clock in the morning. Everybody's drunk. It's a downtown Vancouver comedy club. Where did you think you were going to a convent? You know, no. And so he has had to spend. He's had to have a big fundraiser in Toronto with thirty comics. I could I couldn't believe they found thirty comics who would come out. Um, they're the most left-wing people on the planet, but they showed up and had a fundraiser for him. I do not know where this stands right now, but I can tell you that, well, it's made him famous <laughs> among some people. All it has done, you know, assuming that he was an evil person, and I don't think he is, he, his name was in all the papers. He was on television. Sure. People went to his website that nobody ever went well, to before. Well, here in your own book, you've... And we're quoting him here. You've got him quoted, he said, uh, quote, who describes his politics as, quote, extremely left-wing. Gen- yes. Generally, I'm on the same page as the lesbians, end quote, you know. But don't uh, neck in front of me and think that you're not going to get made fun of. Of course. And uh, it, it's just... Grow again, up. You see, my argument is always that we don't have censorship uh, or because of censors. We have censors because of censorship. Yeah. And uh, it's the same with the Human Rights Commission. But uh, an interesting thing comes up here. You know, he says he describes his politics as a extremely left-wing. Mm-hmm. Okay. And he believed There's that he would be immune from anything sure. like this because he was on the right, the correct side. Excuse well, you me. know what he's actually admitting to, and there's always been this argument mm-hmm. about whether censorship is a left-wing or a right-wing phenomenon. Yes. And I've always maintained it's a left-wing. And Absolutely. he is he is verifying that by saying that's that he felt immune to it because he was left-wing, that's, that's right? That's what political correctness is. It's it's pre-censorship. It's, it's, it's pre-crime. You censor yourself so that you won't get in trouble. Well, you of know. course, yeah, that's, uh, it's a false Ooh. meaning of the word. But again, yeah. if, if I were to ask you bluntly, left or right, what would you, what would you call a human rights commission? Would, be, would it be a left phenomenon yes. or a right phenomenon? In the Western world today, and in Canada, a lot of these people are liberal patronage appointments. Um, a lot of them aren't even lawyers, by the way, but who cares? This isn't a real court. Um, they're people who couldn't get real jobs, so they're working in 
the government, that kind of that kind of thing. They're mediocre people. And that's something I really object to. You know, someone like Ezra Levant or, or Mark Stein, I mean, let's face it, you may not agree with their views, but these are some of the most talented, intelligent people in the world. Being told what they can say by a bunch of time-serving losers with crappy BAs from some stupid university who are just too lazy to get a real job and they, li- they work at the government because they'll get a nice pension at the end of the day. And they get to go on all these little junkets well, too, you know. <laughs> That's nice. And they get paid a, a very heavy salary for basically making up funny rules as they go along at the little lemonade stand they call no, the Human it, Rights Commission. Isn't it interesting in Ray Bradbury's comment when he was asked, he says, you know, why do you burn books? Oh, it's a good job. Yeah, it pays well. When you were you know, playing that, I thought... That is nothing new. That is the most Canadian thing, aside from the <laughs> accent, I have heard all day, and uh, and I was, you know, because I watch Fox News all day, I, I have to keep out the Canadianness. But oh well, why do you why do you do this? Why do the people at the Simon Wiesenthal Center do this? So that they'll get an Order of Canada one day. Um, that they, they get paid a lot of money, they get a lot of social prestige out of it. Um, we're not the most principled country in the world let's face it this is not america and that's one well, isn't that embarrassing yeah. how yes. that is always an excuse for why canadians mm-hmm. are not entitled to freedom yes and well, you know that got to do with the anything. one thing that i would like to add is that the only acceptable prejudice in canada these days is anti-americanism you can say oh. anything you want about americans our greatest well, by friend the way, that's the last fellow who said fat people are yes uh, no he's wrong they've already been uh, legislating for air canada and, yeah. and that kind of thing oh so in england they're uh suspending children from school because they weigh too much and they're forcing parents to walk their children to school so that they'll lose weight and you know one of the problems though is that we all laugh at this and we've been laughing for years at political correctness and people say to me well we'll just do some satire about it you know it's, it's like Woody Allen in Manhattan saying well, you know when the Nazis were going to march through Skokie he said satire is nice but sometimes you need a baseball bat <laughs> and I think we've reached baseball bat uh, territory now in Canada. I don't have a lot of uh, hope that my fellow Canadians can be bothered, but if they can, uh, they can get behind me and we can try to undo this mess. Well, what a great place to end on the show, because believe it or not, the hour I'm, is gone. I talk a lot. <laughs> Well, you're the perfect kind of person great radio <laughs> people want on the air, let me tell you. Listen, again tonight, Thursday night, 10 o'clock at, or 10, 10 yeah, o'clock oh at the door. No, yeah. Not that late. Yeah. Uh, 7 p.m. tonight at the Westmount Public Library, which is on Wonderland Road South. Uh, be sure to show up. Uh, I, I have a feeling there might be a good crowd there. so you Please might come out and meet people like you. They do exist. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Kathy, I want to thank you for joining us today. And Thank you. Uh, hopefully, we'll, maybe we'll have you again back on the show oh, sometime in the future. Love it. And uh, we'll have to leave it there for now because time's wrapping up. So I guess we're going to let her go there. And I hope that you will join us again. Remember, in two weeks, when we will continue our journey in the right direction. Until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, and think right. Take care. See these white supremacists? Wake up, white people! The Jews are taking over. The Jews control the whole solar system. What's the biggest planet? Jupiter. (laughs) (laughs) The Jews sank the Titanic. It hit an iceberg. All right, enough of that.